podcast is part of the 80s Ruled Network. Visit the 80s Ruled on Facebook for more 1980s awesomeness. Ernie Hudson. Maneuvered over your tooth and it, it was like a staple gun, but a cap wow. covered you. Oh my gosh, that was uncomfortable. I and you had that for years, I maybe till your tooth fell out, I guess. Now rappers, they hold on to those. <laughs> yeah, they're Come buying on. them on the, the black tooth market. <laughs> Baby teeth from the 80s, from the 80s especially. They're vintage. Okay. Hey, on that note, welcome back to another episode of 1980s Now, a weekly examination of the importance of 1980s pop culture and its influence today. My name is Will. And joining me, as always, are my friends and co-hosts, Ray and Kat. Hi, guys. What's going on? Hey, on today's show, we're going to be listening to our chat with Ernie Hudson, which is from just this past weekend's Facebook Live interview. And that'll be that. Oh, and at some point this week or at some point, I don't know, with the next week or so, we're going to we're gonna give our review of Ghostbusters Afterlife because mm-hmm. we've all seen it now. It just came out a few days ago. But that'll be in a few days. You'll see that. And we'll let you know when we're recording it, even that it's going to be chock full of spoilers, I would think. I mean, that's the juicy stuff I really want to talk to you guys about. Yeah, we can't just sit around and right. say how much we liked it or didn't like it. Right. Well, we could. We talk. <laughs> it we could can. be a really short episode. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was thinking maybe on this episode, we would try to do a monotone. Uh, so you can't try to do it without any expression. Uh, whether you recommend the movie or not, like something like that, or how you, I don't, I don't know how do you, I guess the words you could use, like I would say like, go see the movie. Right. <laughs> that's what I would say. Go see it. <laughs> but that's not me. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's a movie. Go see it. Race to emotional, I think. Hmm. Say something <laughs> about popcorn, right? What? Go, say something about popcorn instead. <laughs> oh, he's trying to, yeah. Go see the movie. Get popcorn. Hmm. All right. Yeah. All right. That was pretty good. You, you always have to. Yeah. And see. Pull the hand down. Right. Hey, uh, if you want to check out the video of the uh, interview with Ernie Hudson, which again, it was on uh, the 80s Ruled, which is our content partner, right? Um, they, they have the video over there on Facebook. You can follow them there and find that. And hey, we did want to get give a shout out to Jose Luis Gonzalez, who sent us a note and said that we can shout him out. And so I'm shouting mm-hmm. him out. Is that sufficiently loud enough? <laughs> yeah. What else is there to say? If there's more, get back so to us, it? Jose, and then we'll... There's no more? No. Just huh. shout it. No, yeah, that's it. Jose! Thanks for listening. Yeah. That's weird. There's usually a threat with that. No, no threats. <laughs> no. It's Thanksgiving. Maybe he's grateful. Ah. That could be it. And we are too. So, hey, yeah, we're, we're grateful too. And if you want to send us a note, you could uh, do so by visiting us on Facebook and messaging us there. Uh, go to our website, 1980snow.com. There's a little form if you'd rather use a form or just email me personally. I may even get it right now while we're recording. Will Ooh, at 1980snow.com. We read all the messages and many of them we share with you here on the show. Okay, hey, let's get caught up on 1980s news. If you got an email while yeah. we were recording yeah. from someone listening to this, that's, that's some <laughs> wacky time travel there. Well, no, I don't. <laughs> no, what they're doing is, Hmm. Okay. Wait a second. You're right. I would have had us said that message already. Mm, All right. I'll have yeah. to say that exact same message next yes, time. Yes. But if they heard a previous show yeah. and they could send it then when mm. they heard it, yes. then it could come through That's at the time true. of recording when That's he right. said that. Huh. That's right. Okay. I'm just, right. just going to check the email right now. 
Check that email. No, no new messages. Just one from Jose. Is the last one. Hey, per The Verge and everywhere else, uh, Neil Patrick Harris needs an NES in 8-Bit Christmas. Have you guys seen this? There's a trailer out for an HBO Max movie that comes out this week called 8-Bit mm -hmm. Christmas. Yes. Yeah, this thing looks amazing. Right? It looks really fun. Yes, really, really fun. I mean, it, it, two things came to mind when I saw this trailer. One, it looks very much like it could be a 1980s film itself. It kind of mm -hmm. has this Christmas uh, story vibe. And uh, Princess Bride, sort of, because there's a story being told, but also mm -hmm. reminds me of Ray. Ray telling a story maybe to his kids. <laughs> where every oh, now yeah, and the kids yeah. like, wait a second, is that really what happened? He's like, I, I don't know. It was it was kind of like this. Yes, whatever. Yes, yeah, that was that was the feeling I got from it. Also, because I love uh, Neil Patrick Harris. Yeah, mm -hmm. I think he's a great storyteller. He's a great actor, and I think this role is perfect for him because it mm -hmm. really highlights what he's good at. Yeah, cool. which is just telling stories with that deadpan look on his face <laughs> and they're yeah. just ridiculous. Yeah. He is awesome at that. Yeah. And it looks great. And of course, even better that it's set in the 1980s, which he's a 19, he's an 80s kid like kids like us. I think he's, he's around our age. Mm -hmm. I think he is our age. Yeah, I think so. he is our age. Um, so Neil Patrick mm -hmm. Harris narrates a story that's set in the 1980s, which is about him as a kid who is in dire need, want, desire for a uh, Nintendo entertainment system it's set, according to the trailer, uh, what, sometime in the 80s or late 80s, he says, after he tries to nail it down. Well, he's, yeah, he says a very specific year at one point. Yeah, he says yeah, 1987, yeah. and then he stops and goes, 1988? Yeah. <laughs> and, and then his kid. Right, yeah. go ahead. No, no, the kid just says, uh, you, you don't know, do you? <laughs> yeah. Does it really matter? <laughs> sometime in the 80s. So it looks like we're mostly going to see the younger version of uh, Neil Patrick's uh, Harris's character, John, who's played by mm -hmm. Winslow Fegley, who's from something called Timothy, Timmy Failure, Mistakes Were Made. I, I don't know. So many people are coming up. We don't know who they are. Yeah. But uh, like I mentioned, it tells the story of a gift that he wanted more than anything for Christmas, this NES. And because his parents have banned him from having a Nintendo in the house. So cruel. This is a terrible parenting. Wow. Uh, John needs a quote Christmas miracle, which he says in the trailer. And then the trailer is chock full of all the different things that they're sort of conspiring to do to get a Nintendo. And it looks like it's culminates in some sort of competition with him and his friends, which gets pretty, mm -hmm. uh, I don't know, gruesome, gruesome. Uh, I don't know. What's the word? Ruthless. Ruthless. Oh, entertaining. <laughs> entertaining. And, and, yes. Ruthless and entertaining. So many things are, I told Kat, I told Ray this before. So, you know, on the show too, especially, you know, the way our minds work, we have things like in folders, right? And when you see something that you, that's new, you, you first go in for a folder, what's similar and it goes in there. And so many mm -hmm. times I see characters or moments that I think this, it goes right to the Ray folder and it's like, Ray, <laughs> you know, like, you know, I told him this before, Ash versus evil dead. Yes. He's like Ash. Ash. Yeah. That's a very yeah. Ash thing. He's uh there's another character or something recently. I was like, this is exactly how Ray would handle this. But, yeah, every uh, every good looking, great storyteller that's in a movie, yeah. apparently I remind yes. Will of. Ah. Well, you know, these uh, these kids, these different things these kids are doing. I was like, yeah, I could see Ray, you know, coming up with some kind of thing, some kind of scam to get a Nintendo. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that one kid, when they're like all trying to get to the top of the hill and the one kid's like, yeah. I'll kill you. It's like this older teenager. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love all these characters. It's just great. Anyway, that comes out... Uh, it's November 24th, so I don't know, sometime this week, depending on when you listen to this. Hey, uh, another 1980s news. Uh, here we go. Uh, hard rock and heavy metal iconography made some noise as pieces of the original artwork for the cover of the 1983 Quiet Riot album, Metal Health, hand-painted by Stan Watts, 
sold at auction. So you know what that means. It's Ray's favorite time of year, because once again, it's time to play. In Philadelphia, it's worth 50 bucks. Okay, so this is the, so if you remember the 1983 Quiet Album, uh, Quiet Ride Metal Health album, it's a picture of somebody in a, it looks like a, a padded room, has an iconic metal mask on, and what looks like a leather straitjacket. The original hand-painted, you know, image of this that was used to make the albums just sold at auction. What do you think it sold for? Oh boy. Oof. Closest without getting over or going over uh, gets my admiration. So this is a uh, important piece of Americana right here. Yeah. Uh, I believe this is the album that got me into heavy metal. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Even more special then. So I'm going to guess since I love this album so much, mm-hmm. let's say $35,000. Wow. That's a great guess. Cat, you have a guess? Mm, I'm going to say 75000 And the winner, closest without going over, is Ray! <laughs> Shocker. <laughs> it sold at auction for $44,800. Oh, Ooh, all right. Now, you see, if I was a wealthy man, yeah. I would have paid $3 million, yeah. and I'd have kept driving that bid up against myself just so this thing would be worth <laughs> yes. a lot more money. Right. First, you start the, you start the uh, appraisal company. Right. Ray Prazels mm-hmm. or whatever mm-hmm. it is. And right. yes, of course. <laughs> all right. Hey, Kat, you got a chance to redeem yourself because also I sold at that auction was the mm-hmm. original metal mask. Oh, that no, Watts, the, 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 the painter oh. and photographer, the artist who created the album made for that image that oh, also wow. sold at auction. And I'm going to give you a, a clue. It mm-hmm. was estimated to sell at $8,000. Okay. Now you guess first this time. What do you think it actually sold for? I think it probably sold for more than that. Yep. And I'm going to say $15,000. $15, okay, yeah. good guess. Ray, what do you mm, think? I will say 17522 How hmm. very specific. Well, the, <laughs> the closest without going over is Ray. Once again. <laughs> But he's not close at all because it actually sold for eight, sorry, six times its original estimate for $50,000. The mask sold for more than the painting. Wait, that sold more than the painting. Yeah. That's amazing. I found per a 2010 story in Revolver magazine, uh, it it turns out Stan Watts, this gentleman who, this this artist who created this uh, album cover, was approached by the art director hired to put this together, Jay Vigan, Vigan. Um, he asked him to do the album, but he had already done, Stan had already done Black Sabbath's uh, 1982's, is it Live Evil Not, or Live uh, Evil? <laughs> I think it's Live Evil. Live Evil? Okay, maybe it's a Could live Could be album. Live. It's Evil it Backwards. No, mm-hmm. it's two words. He also did okay. Doobie Brothers' 1981's uh, Best of the Doobies and Martin Briley's 1983's One Night with a Stranger. But of course, uh, he's most, probably most likely f- uh, known for this one. Uh, as far as music goes, but he also did the poster for The Howling in 1981. He said that he was told uh, about the concept involved as someone wearing a straight jacket with some sort of mask on, but who was the masked man? Now, I know who I always thought it was. It looks a lot like uh, Kevin Dubrow, the lead singer. That's what I thought, but it's not. (laughs) It turns out Kevin has brown eyes, and the one eye you see peeking through is clearly blue. It turns out it's the photographer artist himself, Stan Watts. <laughs> he actually made the mask, put it on, put uh, drummer Kevin uh, Benali, Benali's uh, 
red oh, leather. Frankie. Mo- oh, Frank, yeah. Frank Benali's uh, let. Yeah. Can't bro. Uh, red leather motorcycle jacket on backwards. So it looked like a straight jacket. Oh. He hung a, uh, moving blanket behind him. So it looked like the uh, padded room sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Had his wife take mm-hmm. a picture and then he airbrushed it, uh, to make it, uh, look the way it ultimately looks on the, on the record. The final touch was adding the four pins, each depicting a different face, face of a quiet, uh, right band member. Mm-hmm. Okay. Hey, in other 1980s news per blabbermouth, white snakes, David Coverdale says the pandemic is a public health issue, not a political one. So I didn't realize that it turns out that David Co- Coverdale was going to do his retirement, his farewell tour last year, but mm-hmm. it's gotten postponed because of the pandemic. And he still seems like he's still not comfortable, uh, as, as he put it, uh, t- talking to Blabbermouth, signing off on the final tour this year because he wants to make sure that the uh, folks that come to see him are going to be able to be safe. Um, saying, quote, I'm a target for the virus. Uh, I can't understand politicians who've made this a political issue as opposed to a health issue. It's a health issue. And the only way we're getting out of it is to get to adhere to the advice of scientists, the doctors, end quote. So Coverdale just turned 70 this uh, past September. He's got a number of health issues, including having his both knees replaced with titanium and after suffering from degenerative arthritis. In fact, he said he's in so much pain that his, uh, his knees may have been a reason he wouldn't be able to perform either. He's still in pain? Or is that why he had them replaced? Huh. He was later explained that he was in so much pain with arthritis. Huh. Maybe was. I yeah, I think he was. Now. Yeah. And that was 2017, and he was already planning the tour for 2020. In fact, apparently he started, uh, he had been touring when when this ultimately got shut down because he had an album that came out in May of 2019, Flesh and Blood. Mm-hmm. He said about about um, when, it, when, the, when the tour is over, he said, quote, this very much is going to be me standing there in a very highly charged emotional moment, probably sobbing. Yep. Wow. Yep. No more money coming in. Well, yeah, yeah, you're right. In the article, it does talk about how, because so many things have been shut down yeah. as a result of the pandemic, it said it created an issue for him being able to earn a living from, well, and from yeah. other musicians being able to earn uh, mus- uh, money, <laughs> earn a living from their music. Because as you know, they make a lot of more money Plus. performing than anything. Right. And you know what they should yeah. do? Yeah. Go get a f- job during the pandemic. Oh, Musician's don't. not a real job. Go get a job. Mm. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, boy. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh. I got to get my pizza. So- Are you David Coverdale? You know who you look like? I'm going to give you an extra $5. <laughs> yeah, he always says, uh, David, you got to take this over to, to Elm Street. And he's like, all right, man, here I go again on my own. <laughs> Balloonie. I told you once, David, we're not sending anybody with you. Get a get a phone with GPS. Right. Hey, in other 1980s news, as we mentioned, Ghostbusters is, uh, is out. And in, in, uh, just a few minutes, we're going to be playing our interview with Ernie Hudson. And we do touch upon Ghostbusters Afterlife. But there's no spoilers in this interview. Mm-mm. Although, hmm. Yeah, I'll just say that. Um, <laughs> Even if it's not true. No, it's, yeah, I think it's true. I was thinking about, maybe I'll mention this in a moment when we talk about something else. So, but I wanted to let you guys know that per The Hollywood Reporter, Ghostbusters opened to a heavenly, as they say it, $44 million. So at least as of the writing of this, the direct sequel to 1984's Ghostbusters has restored the luster to Sony's supernatural franchise. If you remember uh, when the 2016 movie came out, Sony was having to write it off as a loss. And I don't remember how much it was, but it was a, it was a lot. Mm. Uh, Tony said it wasn't as much as was being reported, but I don't remember what, if it was several millions or, or a billion, it was a lot of money that they said that they had lost as a result of it. 
But uh, unlike that, this uh, film is is come out very strong overseas. It started off with sixteen million dollars from thirty one markets, yeah, mm-hmm. for a worldwide launch of sixty million dollars, which is the two numbers put together there. Uh, I thought this was, was kind of interesting. They said that on Saturday, uh, when it, that weekend it opened just a couple of days ago, uh, over thirty three percent of the audience saw the movie before four p.m., indicating that it had a strong turnout in families. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. See, I think that's weird. That yeah. they saw there's a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of people like to day drink and go to the movies. Hmm. Oh, I see. <laughs> yeah, don't rule that ball. <laughs> right, well, yeah. Ray, there's another statistic here. <laughs> it's not about day drinkers, <laughs> but it says that according to Post Track, nearly 50% of the audience was between the ages of 25 and 44, while 57 uh, were male. Yeah. So maybe that's your day drinker. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> there's a Ghostbusters movie and a bunch of dudes go yeah. to see it. <laughs> I want to see the statistic, the statistic that shows how in every movie theater had at least one creepy dude who showed up alone. Oh, no. <laughs> right? And he didn't eat any snacks. And he had a yeah, big heavy coat on for some reason. <laughs> oh, no. Right? You guys have never seen that? I've seen that. Um, I'm watching that guy the whole movie. I'm like, what is this guy going to do? And what does he say, Ray? The thing you said last week when we talked about the ears? <laughs> I can't do it on command. Well, oh, okay. Oh. It just, ha- these, tell these impressions, yeah. these impressions I do, they just come out. Oh, okay. Uh, I think you should isolate what he just said. <laughs> Here's a flashback to last week's episode. <laughs> All right, we'll put it there. Uh, of course, the movie stars Carrie Coon, Finn Wolfhard, McKenna Grace, Annie Potts, and Paul Rudd. Uh, and it's mm-hmm. just, well, go see the movie. Yep. I'm ready to do the review, but yeah, go see the movie well, so we can get yeah. this uh, review. Yeah. Back. And actually yep, go, go see the movie. The movie. Because then you'll be able to enjoy our review more and take advantage of it, right? Yep, you'll know what we're talking about. Okay. Hey, uh, another 19, and and I should mention, it didn't say in this article, but I read somewhere else that it's exceeded expectations at the box office. They didn't think it would do as well as this, but Mm -hmm. it is. So good. that's Mm -hmm. good news. Uh, Mm -hmm. In a related story, and this is not a spoiler, okay? Because this is a story that uh, was, this story came out before the movie premiered. And it's according to one of our, (laughs) I don't even want to joke about this. It's according uh, to a. Is this a Doomcock thing? No, but it might no. as well be because it's like Doomcock's, uh, one of his fake sources, giant freaking robot. The giant freaking robot. Yeah. So take the, as Doomcock would say, until he doesn't say it. Because then later on he's saying, I told you it was true. No, you didn't. Remember you said it was not, might not be true. It was a rumor. Uh, there's a Ghostbusters series, a TV series in development. Uh, so the latest giant freaking robot exclusive from their quote trusted and proven source, they've been wrong so many times, <laughs> is that a, a Ghostbuster series is in development right now. It appears the plan is to sell it to a streaming service so that, you know, there could be a uh, bidding war taking place behind the scenes for something like this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will mention this though. I think, right, Ray, Cat, uh, rather, uh, keep me honest here. <laughs> I think we could say this. We, we spoke to Ernie Hudson about this off air. Mm-hmm. And he couldn't comment about whether it's true or not. I honestly don't think he knows. Mm-hmm. But he did, when asked, I said, would you be willing to do it? Didn't he say, mm-hmm. as Winston would say, if there's a steady <laughs> paycheck in it? Yes. Okay, that's what he, he said. All right, that. Sure, yeah. sure yeah. that wasn't dreamt of. I, I don't want to comment on this because right. that is directly related to what I was going to say about this. And I don't want to say yes, it until exactly. right. we okay. do the movie review. Exactly. Okay, right. so this is just based Come on this up. rumor. That's all. Right. From Giant Freaking Robot, which came out before. But yeah. if it's what I think it is, then it's cool. Uh, I'm in. Uh, 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 
too much. That's too much already. <laughs> Stay for the whole movie. Stay for the whole movie. That's yeah. what Ray's trying to tell you. All right. Okay. Yeah. Hey, in other 1980s news, speaking of Doomcock, look, I wasn't going to bring it up unless he got his name got invoked. Okay. I did set it up so he would say it. All right. <laughs> I'm going to read you a story from July of 2020, which I believe we talked about right at the time. And this information Ooh, yeah, yeah. comes from Giant Freaking well, Robot. But keep in mind, you know, these are all just rumors and speculations that cannot be proven at the time. Okay. Well, here you go. I'm going to read exactly what this is. Now, this is Giant Freaking right. Robot quoting a story from, they say, uh, the future ruler of Earth, Doomcock, the Overlord DVD, has recently, again, this is July. In his latest update regards to the Civil War, quote, Civil War, which Doomcock, by the way, <laughs> made, he called it a Civil War and made up, you know, the Civil War, taking place at Lucasfilm, includes no, numerous sources have filed that this information is true. And Doomcock says, according to Doomcock, quote, no, it is most assuredly not BS, end quote. And when Doomcock asked his sources if these stories were true, they replied, quote, yes, all right? The story is that at the time they were reporting was that Kathleen Kennedy was getting fired. According to Matthew Baloney, <laughs> just a Baloney, Bellany, I'm going to say, he probably says it Bellany. I like the Baloney. <laughs> Sorry, Matthew. <laughs> who was a former writer with The Hollywood Reporter. He just reported that Kathleen Kennedy's contract has been renewed for another three years. Ah. Now, you know what Doomcock said now, Ray, according to this? Yes, I do. Well, I, was all, I also told you that was true, too. Remember, I said she's probably going to get renewed. So which one right. did you both a room? That's what you do for a rumor now. I, I yes. have a rumor that she's going to get fired and also a rumor she's going to not get fired. Do you not know I how to do right. that at work? When someone know. asks you a question? To lie? No. I don't no, know. you say, like, if somebody says, hey, we got to get this done. Should we do it yep. this way or should we do it that way? And you go, yes. I've never done that. Except and then you as a joke. walk away. And then you walk away and act like you actually... Hmm. Answer their question. I haven't done that. But I also haven't done it to build people on the internet so that I can get advertising revenue from people who believe. Well, why can't we do that? I don't know. You know, I guess I'm just ultimately jealous. You're right. Um, But, you know, sounds looking into this. It makes sense that she would be, her contract would be renewed because. Now, why does that make sense? I'll tell you. Because it turns out that the five Star Wars movies under Disney, beginning with 2015's uh, Force Awakens, and ending with mm-hmm. the rise of Skywalker, have collectively mm-hmm. grossed $6 billion. Oh my God. And it turns out <laughs> that uh, Kathleen Kennedy is the third most, uh, let's say, profitable or box office grossing producer. Third! The only two ahead of her are Kevin Feige and Steven Spielberg. And they've got jobs. Mm, so there let's you go. see. Look at Ray's neutral face there. He's Googling something. He's like, he's like Doomcock. I, I'm calling plus, Doomcock. Yeah, Doomcock. <laughs> Hello, this is Doomcock. Oh, wait. Hi, hi this is Doomcock. This is you have reached the Doomcock hotline. For information about Kathleen Kennedy, press one. Beep. If you're a white male who feels threatened by the females, press two. Hang on, let me put on my voice thing. Okay, Hidley Ray hates reach me. This is Doomcock. What are you looking up? None of your business. Like, I'm looking according up according to my statistics. Now, what was what was the total of her pro, of her box office? Well, this is uh, what this is is the collective gross of the Star Wars film since Disney okay. took over. And what was six it? Billion. Six billion. Okay, well, two billion of that's The Force Awakens. Yeah. So that means the other ones did worse. How, how do you figure? 
if there's six billion made, yeah, and two so billion of it, four billion over what? Three the other six okay. movies. First of all, I guess first and last of all, what does that matter? Because we were all excited to see the first one. Oh. Yeah, but they still, but the point is it still made a lot of money. Even after well, the course. first one, it continued. They yeah, all I, continued I went and saw money. all of them too, so I could bottom. In fact, I think the one they said didn't make money was Solo. So only one out of the right. five or six films. Okay. Mm-hmm. You just bring her up and that up to, to aggravate me. This is not money they even made off of streaming, including her other successful project, The Mandalorian. You know what she should do? Yeah. She should take a page out of the Colonel's book yep. and make buttons that say, I hate Kathleen Kennedy and sell them to people who don't like her. I think I've heard this story before. You know what I'm going to do is I'm going to bleep everything you said after, you know what she should do. Beep. <laughs> That's fine. That could have just as easily been the answer. Yeah. <laughs> more honest. Hey, from your perspective, not mine. Okay. Hey, that was 1980s news. You know what? I forgot. Uh, we'll bring out our... So, okay. Hey, if you like the show, I don't know. Whatever. Great. That's great. Awesome. You do like the show, as Ray would say. That's why you're listening. Mm-hmm. So, That's come great. back. If you've, got the, if you've gotten this far. <laughs> yes. Come back and listen to more. Um, but also, like it. Rate it. Please, write a review wherever. Subscribe. Tell a friend. Share a post. Anything. That would be great. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Write it down on a piece of paper mm-hmm. and mail it to five random strangers from yeah. the phone book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You know, don't say something like, uh, you know, like I- I've been watching you and I know. No, that no, you, don't, you know, <laughs> no, don't cut the letters out of the newspaper <laughs> to spell it out. Don't do that. Don't write it in blood. Just write something like, hey, friend, I like mm-hmm. this podcast. You should check it out and mail it to five right. random strangers. And say like, mm-hmm. uh, well, pay it forward on there because then they'll assume it's a good deed they're doing. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. You're right. Mm-hmm. Pay it forward mm-hmm. and then you write the Patreon page on there. There you go. Very uh-huh. good. There you go. You know, before we bring in our, our, our play, our interview from from earlier, um, uh, I wanted to mention Cat gave him a compliment. <laughs> she basically said he said what? Sexy? I Sex appeal? I, just, I did. I said he brought the sex appeal. Yeah, he brings the um, sex appeal to the Ghostbusters. Yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. There you go. I didn't know that he was her, seems like her favorite Ghostbuster. Auga. Auga. Yeah. So, so does that mean your significant other dresses up as him? <laughs> he comes into the bedroom doing the dance and the singing. Do, 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 do. Who are you going to call? He says, who are you going to call? And she says, yeah. He-Man. She, she yells out, there is no cat, only Zool. And he's got to go change costumes. <laughs> like, oh, for crying out loud. <laughs> Jesus. Oh, is I going to be the key master? Ah. Start growling. Yeah. <laughs> Suddenly wearing a red gown. Where'd that come from? Oh, wow. Hey, uh, speaking of Ghostbusters, uh, in a moment, we'll be right back with uh, our live or recorded live interview uh, from just this past weekend with original Ghostbuster and current Ghostbuster, Ernie Hudson. Long before our guest was a household name, as I mentioned, he was in our households because it seems like he's appeared on in, in nearly every of the all of the greatest television shows from the 1970s and 1980s, everything that we enjoyed. And whether he was uh, beating up David Banner on The Incredible Hulk or uh, conspiring with Hannibal Smith on The A-Team or uh, healing up at St. Elsewhere, 
he's always delivered standout, grounded performances. But of course, uh, we finally put a name to the face when we saw him as uh, Winston Zeddemore in 1984's Ghostbuster, a role that he reprises in Ghostbusters Afterlife, which just premiered this weekend. And he continues this long line of uh, bringing us great television by starring in, or not only starring in, but also producing The Family Business, which just dropped its third season on uh, BET Plus just this last month. Please welcome to the show, Ernie Hudson. Ernie. Hey. How are you? I'm doing very good. Well, I'm, uh, I'm actually, I'm great. How are you? Very good. I'm, I'm, I'm better now that you're here. I feel better. I feel better. And based on all the roles you've played in the past and quite a range, and it's interesting sort of the arc that you've gone from sort of uh, heavies, playing heavies, you know, on a lot of television shows mm-hmm. to somewhere, I guess, in the middle eighties when you, uh, after Ghostbusters, I'm imagining there's this turn where you're seeing more of like the, uh, you know, best friend and the father. And now we're turning, you know, in the family business where it's kind of, it's a mix of these different uh, roles you've played in the past. It's pretty uh, uh, interesting. Um, Yeah. It's been actually fun to, um, uh, to explore. I think the wonderful thing about being an actor is you get a chance to, uh, you know, just sort of step into different um, realities, universes, and try to uh, create that, storyline and that bring integrity to these different characters. Um, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I was wondering, I, I saw this, well, you know what, let me, well, if I, I will chat here and I'll see if I can get it up. Um, I came across an interview you did in Starlog magazine from 1985 and you told a story about how uh, you appeared in Space Hunter, which Ivan Reitman was a producer on. Right. They didn't, uh, at first, your character, Washington, was going to have hair. Uh, and then ultimately, they wanted him to shave his head. But it seems like having shaved your head nearly cost you an audition as Winston, ultimately, in the Ghostbusters. Is that right? Do you remember that story? Uh, I don't remember the story, no. or I don't remember how I told it. <laughs> but, <laughs> it doesn't uh, matter. Yeah, but I, you know, I did Space Hunter with Peter Strauss, Molly yes. Ringwald, and... Washington was sort of a bigger than life character. You know, uh, my head was shaved. Actually, I talked in a a lower register of my voice and he was, he drove this big rig and uh, very different than Winston. And so when I, uh, I ran an Ivan Reitman who told me he was doing Ghostbusters, uh, but he said, there's nothing in it for you. Mm -hmm. So it took me a few months to finally uh, get them to agree to see me because I think Ivan saw me as Washington. I see. And, uh, you know, the Winston guy, he is, you know, he he kind of blends in. He's sort of a, you know, he gets along with people. So it's a very different character. Yeah. Oh, that didn't appear there. Well, that's not working. Okay. Uh, That's okay. Hey, oh, we do have a question here from Dan. Dan is skipping straight to Ghostbusters here saying, are you a little disappointed you didn't get to say he slimed me? <laughs> uh, no, not really. Uh, <laughs> you know, not really. We, um, I don't think anybody, oh yeah, I guess a uh, podcast, he got uh, slimed. Right. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, I was really happy with um, Jason Reitman who was six years old when we did the first movie. Uh, he's yeah. a wonderful director and him taking the the helm and, um, you know, dishonoring his dad and uh, paying tribute to Harold. And uh, I just, I'm, I'm very, very happy with the movie. And I think the fans after 
almost 40 years of asking me continually on the streets, is there going to be another movie to finally say we have the movie? So, yeah, that's got it. So, you know, as fans, we've heard almost since I think the second Ghostbusters, there was going to be a sequel. As you know, the last decade or so, there was talk about creating a Ghostbusters sort of, what do they call it nowadays? Shared universe or larger universe of films and intersecting TV shows. Are you skeptical when you finally get the call from Ivan and I guess Jason to tell you, Hey, we're back on. Yeah, it was, you know, because, um, like over the past, uh, ever since the second movie, um, the studio has been, they would even announce that uh, the movie was being made and that they had me on board, which always amazed me because nobody ever talked to me. But um, for whatever reason, we were never able to make it happen until Paul Figg's movie um, with the ladies. Right. Uh, but uh, I, it was really when I got to the set that it really hit me that we're actually doing this. When I saw hmm. Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd in their jumpsuits <laughs> and I kind of flashed back, you know, 30 plus years ago. Um yeah, then it then it, it became real. But up until then, I was always a little skeptical that something's going to fall apart. This isn't going to happen. Yeah, yeah. No, hey, again, no spoilers, guys. But see this film. Uh, uh, okay, I'm, I was going to say something else, but that's probably too much. All right. So hey, we got another question here. Let's see, Frank writes, "You are a big part of my pop culture growing up with Ghostbusters and the cartoon series, and then in the '90s with The Crow, another huge film, which you played another great role in that. Very." Touching film for lots of reasons, of course, on and off screen. Uh, what right. movies or shows had a big impact on you growing up? Oh, okay. Were you a fan of films when you were growing up? Yeah, well, you know, I, I was. Uh, I grew up in this very strict religious uh, community, and um, so they didn't encourage seeing the movies. So most of the movies I saw was late night TV when they showed the old movies. Right. Um, and in my time, I was born in the '40s, so. Um, it was the Cowboys, you know, and Gary Cooper and, um, right. you know, uh, that was sort of the, the heroes. Um, but I, you know, I love movies. I never thought I'd be an actor, but uh, uh, getting to the chance to go to a movie theater was kind of rare when I was a kid. Hmm. So was there some other form of art or pop culture or music? We know ultimately you pursue theater, but that came later. So was there some other sort of art that uh, inspired you creatively even before you? Well, when I was a kid, I've always written uh, short stories. So I thought of myself, uh, I saw myself becoming a writer. Uh, When I got into college, um, that was what I think I was pursuing uh, a career as a writer. I wrote some plays. I joined a theater group in Detroit concept East theater back in the, uh, what was it? The mid sixties. Um, I always enjoyed, uh, singing. I, I kind of dreamed about being, um, um, you know, a, a singer, mm. um, recording artist, uh, but never really had the heart to pursue that. Mm. It just seemed, uh, you know, I just couldn't quite get it together, but acting was something that just, uh, felt right. You know, I felt at home on stage, um, it wasn't work. It was like, this is, um, this is what I meant to do. Writing was discipline, you know, I had to be on point where acting was just really being able to look beyond myself mm. 
and uh, and get into this uh, you know this make believe world. Um, I love theater, um, so so the acting just kind of came natural without any effort on my part. And I think I was focusing so much on uh, being a writer that I really didn't even think about the acting. And I think maybe the reason the acting happened was because I wasn't trying to uh, force it or pursue it uh, early on. Later on, it became, this is my career, this is what I do. But early on, it was uh, just a thing that I just had a lot of fun doing. And it wasn't, I didn't take it any more than that, you know. Now, and I know that, uh, you know, certainly folks are familiar with some of the frustrations you've had, including with the Ghostbusters, as far as the, uh, your extent to be able to uh, provide input into some of the characters that you played early on. Now, with your writer background and certainly your passion as a writer, working on the family business, do you find yourself uh, being able to help, you know, craft more of what we see on screen? Well, you know, I, I, I'm given the opportunity, but, you know, I'm at an age now where, Honestly, um, a lot of the ambitions uh, that I had early on, it almost feels like, um, you know what, if it hasn't happened, uh, I'm okay. (laughs) So to answer the question on family business, I'm one of the executive producers, which means I do whatever I can to help the show. And uh, if there's something that um, I'm uncomfortable with, it's nice to have a seat at the table, but I don't try to get in Carl Weber as a writer. I don't try to, uh, unless something, you know, doesn't feel right or something bothers me, but he's a wonderful writer. Um, but yeah, over the years, I've just, uh, I went through a, a cancer scare mm. about 10 years ago where I came very close to dying. And when you go through something like that, you realize whatever I haven't done, I have to be okay with that. Mm. And um, I was able to kind of, just enjoy, you know, the work that I do now is because I want to do it, not because I feel like I have to. And uh, that's a, a better place to be. Oh, that's great. And you're doing okay now though, right? Oh yeah. yeah. Oh, very good. <laughs> yeah. I hope so. Yeah. No, I've, uh, I've been very, very blessed. I've gone through two uh, bouts of cancer and uh, one was, um, it, it seemed very simple. The second one would have been, except the the uh, the surgeon kind of botched things up and um, oh and almost oh. took me out, but uh, but that was uh, over ten years ago, and um, I'm healthy and very 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 thankful. Oh, we are too. Uh, we got another question here for you. Uh, Elaine asks, was wondering what has been your favorite character to play throughout your career. We've got lots of favorites of yours. What's your favorite? Well, you know, I think as an actor, you you're always looking for that. Um, defining role, you know, mm. um, Jamie Foxx, when he did uh, Ray Charles, that's a mm. character that just a once in a lifetime thing. I don't feel that I found that character on stage. I did the great white hope where I right. played the Jack Johnson character. That was, that took everything I had. Um, but I haven't found that in film, but if I mix a lot of the characters, I love um, Solomon and uh, the hand that rocks the cradle. Yeah. Um, right. I, 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 Love that character. I love the Monroe Kelly character in Congo. It right. was fun to uh, to 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 play that part. Uh, I love working on the Crow. Um, I love working with Brandon, and um, uh, I think I find something in all the parts that I've done. But some, of course, you know, um, stick out. I love this character in uh, the family business. 
Um, but, uh, and, I, and, I, and I love Winston for, but you, there's always a different reason why you like them. Sometimes it's, you just love the world that you're creating, the people you're working with. Sometimes it's, you know, just the character. Sometimes it's, you know, but they're all kind of special, but those kind of, you know, stand out. Right. And I remember, I, I think I read you saying about Winston, in, in some sense, he was most like you. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, one of the great things about the character, and I think that probably, you know, folks identify and love that character so much is he's us. You know, he's the guy who shows up and says, I don't know if this is legit or not, but I'll go along and we'll figure it out. It's kind of us watching the movie. We don't know what to believe necessarily. Right. Yeah, I think so. And I, I found a lot of kids, um, not just uh, kids of color, uh, you know, and I get a lot of kids who will tell me they identified with the character, but uh, kids all, you know, from every group. Um, there's something about Winston that's, uh, and I think the, we, we love the other guys because they're these kind of, off the wall scientists, nerdy kind of guys. But Winston is like, okay, whatever. I'll be whatever you need me to be mm -hmm. so I can get paid. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, I think people related to that. Yeah. And, and you know, and relate to it because so many of us, that's the work that we do. You know, we don't have our <laughs> fantasy job as a ghostbuster or whatever. We're, we need a paycheck. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, yeah. And I think that's, you know, I, I love that about, Winston doesn't make it more than what it is. It's just, uh, I'm here to do a job and, um, um, yeah, I, uh, yeah, I like, I like it. I like the character. I love, I, I love Winston. You know, we know that you're, uh, obviously you're trained in the theater. You think you worked in the theater for like a decade before you even, uh, um, started yeah. appearing on TV or film. Um, I'm wondering to, to what extent, and now we know that you look, you've appeared, you appeared with legendary SNL alum here, but before that folks may remember you appeared with an SCTV TV alum, Mr. John Candy, the late great John yeah. Candy in wow. going berserk, which is a very unusual film, but uh, <laughs> it seemed like they stitched together a bunch of sketches maybe and created a story. Yeah. tried to create a story. Well, well David Steinberg um, directed the movie yep. and the part that I played um, had already been cast. Mm. Um, and they brought me in to read for a lesser role, what I considered a lesser role and that I, uh, but I wanted to play this part. And, um, he said, we've already cast it. And I said, yeah, but let me show you how it should be done. So I was able to, um, <laughs> reverse the role. So the actor who had my part played the other part and I got to play the oh, part I wanted to play. Okay. Um, and John, um, I, you know, he was, he was a good friend. Um, uh, you know, after the movie, we, we kept in contact. Um, and it was fun working with him. I, I did, um, Chris Farley was the same way, you know, from the mm -hmm. Saturday night live, uh, Chris and I were, we did, um, um, <laughs> going blank on the name yeah, of the me movie. Too. Yeah. Uh, um, uh, I, I, this is the time when I call my wife and she tells me all the, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Brendan Frazier, uh, Adam Sandler, mm. uh, they were all in this movie. Oh Joy Montaigne, Airheads, Airheads. Airheads. Oh, of course. Airheads. Yes, yeah. of so, course. But, um, <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I, I think one of the fun things is I've been able to work with people that I've admired. I mean, those guys are really, um, 
you know, admired their creativity. Uh, I do a show now with uh, Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin right, uh, called Grace and Frankie. I've been fans of theirs forever. I worked years ago with Betty Davis, uh, Lawrence Olivier. Um, I work with some really amazing people. And uh, I always like to think that I bring something to the table as well. But, um, but I've been very, very blessed that way. Speaking of the folks you've worked with, we have a question from uh, Kathy Burke here says, who would you love to work with that you maybe haven't worked with yet? You know, I, I did a play on Broadway about, I guess it's been about 10 years ago now. Um, uh, Joe Turner's come and gone. And uh, Merle Streep, who I was at Yale with, uh, came to see the play and we went to dinner. And I would really love to, I, I just have so much uh, admiration and respect for her. And I would love to, to, uh, to work with her on something. Um, but then there, you know, there's so many wonderful people out sure. there working now that I have so much, but well, she comes to mind whenever I'm asked that she definitely comes to mind. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And as you mentioned, there's, there's, there's such a list of folks that you have worked with. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. it's it'd be hard to find someone. I mean, left that's, uh, uh, that you haven't, um, Oh, we got a compliment here. You were, Oh, you were great in Ghostbusters. Yes. And again, <laughs> folks see the film and you know, actually in, in speaking of the film here, so you mentioned uh, working Jason Reitman. We talked about how he's the, he's the director of the film folks. If you don't know, he's the son of the director and producer of, of the reason why we have Ghostbusters in, in, in the first place. He also appears in the film Ghostbusters 2 here. He's the birthday. I think he's credited as like birthday boy in the credits. Yeah. Um, but he's the one who'd rather see He-Man uh, and, and actually booze uh, <laughs> Ernie's character here and seen here with uh, Mr. Eckroyd as well. What is it like taking direction in, in the afterlife from a kid who was, you know, running, no had a runny nose on set when he was last time? Saw him. I don't know. Well, this was, uh, he was six on the first movie. I think he was about 11 years old here. Okay. And, uh, but what I appreciate about Jason is he didn't, um, you know, he went off on his own and created this uh, amazing career. He did Juno and Thanks for Not So. I mean, a, a series of amazing movies uh, in his own right. And then decided to take the helm of Ghostbusters. And it was nice because it wasn't like it was uh, just something he got because his dad did. He's legitimately uh, a well-established, award-winning director. So he's a wonderful director and uh, he's wonderful to work with. And what I love about Jason is he's such a, he feels like family. I'm so proud of him. I was proud of him before we did the Ghostbusters, but he's really very, very talented. And he's one of those actors who you, you work with and you want to bring your best because you want him to look good. Mm. And that's kind of rare. Usually, you know, I'm thinking about, okay, my, but you want Jason to succeed. And I think in this movie, he does. Yeah. Yes. I wish we could talk about the details, but we're not going to do that. We're not going to ruin it for anybody. Oh, it's this thing that, you know, since it just came out, I know very few people who have seen it yet. They're seeing it. They're probably seeing it right now, but yeah. it's the kind of thing you want to, after you've seen it, uh, meet with other fans and sort of, you know, talk about the moments and, uh, I don't know. So, well, you know, it's a communal thing. This It's been a community now since 1984. Uh, that's yeah. the that's the amazing thing about the movie to me. It's it is a community. It's um it's all over the world. There are chapters everywhere, and it it crosses generation in a way that very few films do. Uh, somebody mentioned um, the Crow earlier, and there's a stage in life when when people love that movie, 
but it's not the kind of movie you can share with little kids or with your, you know, your grandparents necessarily. But Ghostbusters, there's something in it for everybody. And, uh, and that, that I'm, I'm amazed because I'll see people in their 90s watching it with their great grandkids who are three or four years old and they're all laughing. Yeah. Uh, that's really uh, exceptional for a movie. You know, and fans, on behalf of all fans, we're grateful that you haven't shied away from being part of that. You know, you see, you have, you, you look, you're, anybody is curious, seriously, you want to look, be overwhelmed, look at Mr. Hudson's uh, resume on IMDb. I mean, you'll be scrolling for a while. He's been a steady actor, you know, uh, for, for many years, for several decades now. Um, but even though you moved on, you still came back uh, and continued yeah. to stay connected with us. I think because, you know, I discovered the movie through the fans. I know that sounds weird. I mean, I did the movie. You make a movie. It opens, number one, at the box office. And, you know, and, and then we move on to something else. But what amazed me about Ghostbusters was after five years, people were still talking about Ghostbusters, still wearing the jumpsuits after 10 years, after 15 years. And it, it made me really appreciate um, the movie and what people got from the movie. And so I had to kind of take another look and go, wow, yeah, you know, it really is something special. And, um, you know, I, I meet people, I get so many stories and I wanted to, um, to share that community, to be a part of that. Um, and, uh, and I know the significance. It wasn't just, I've done a lot of movies, but it wasn't just another movie. This was something, uh, really uh, special, and I appreciate the reason we have Ghostbusters because not because the fans came to the theater, but because fans embraced the movie and and it became a part of their lives, and that's uh, that was extraordinary. I, I just uh, I was humbled by it, and um, the fans though is what helped me to discover Ghostbusters. It is a it is a rare thing. I mean, not only is look, we've got lots of great films, and we believe most of the great films came out in the nineteen eighties. That's just our position here on this. <laughs> it was a great time. Yeah, yeah. but but that is a film that uh, you know beyond the screen. It's 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 really to your point is is uh, it's amazing what it's uh, the impact it's had. Uh, yeah. Someone made a comment here. Um, what's it? Dinora. Dinora. Well, she says you're a great actor, but she also said she'd love to see you in other films. Is there something you're working on now that you can uh, tease us about, I guess? Well, yeah, you know, um, I did a, uh, uh, during the pandemic, I went to the Cayman Islands to shoot a movie called Retirement Plan um, uh, with Nicolas Cage, <laughs> which was an action movie, and uh, it was a lot of fun. I'm not sure when it'll come out. Nowadays, you make a movie, you're not sure mm. when they'll release it, Right. Um, you know, 30 years ago, you'd make the movie and they'll tell you the date that it's going to be released, but that's all changed. Um, uh, Brian Cox, who uh, does a show called Secession. Sure. Um, we, and he directed an episode of Oz where we first met, mm. but um, he and uh, Kate Beckinsale, uh, we did a movie in Las Vegas uh, called uh, A Prisoner's Daughter. Uh, that was a lot of fun to work on. And I'm not sure when that'll come out. Uh, next week I'm going up to Winnipeg to shoot a movie with Woody Harrelson and, uh, it's a fun character. So at this stage, I'm just sort of, you know, having fun. Um, the, uh, the show I do, uh, the family business has been picked up for another season. So at some point we'll go back to work on that, but 
um, yeah, it's just finding, um, finding the fun stuff and not taking any of it. Um, I think when you're young, you look at a role, like what can this do for my career? Mm. Is this going to be something I can win an award on? Um, and now it's like, it is what it is and just enjoy it for what it is. Mm. Very good. That's a, Hey, that's a great lesson for all of us, no matter what we do. Uh, <laughs> Ernie, we are so we we'll let you go here. I'm going to hang up on everybody else, but I, uh, you won't be disconnected. But I do want to, before everyone, our live audience here, I want to say thank you so much for entertaining us throughout our lives. And like I mentioned at the beginning here, even longer than we realize. It's been a while, but, um, but I have to thank all of you guys because, um, you know, I came from um, a small town, never thinking that I'd end up in being an actor. Uh, to have found this career, to this career has taken me all over the world. I've been blessed in ways that I can't even, I can't even tell you. I'm just so humbled and thankful uh, to be at my grandmother who raised me said, you know, uh, we we're all, uh, Jesus says he's the light of the world. Well, we're all lights of the world. And what that means is you want to set an example of what's possible. And so I've always, in, because of acting, I've been able to live a life that's, you know, healthy. And, um, you know, if I'm going to be a 75-year-old man, I want to be a guy who's healthy, a guy who has some money, a guy who, um, who can love and laugh. And, uh, and I'm not um, hiding from anyone. So, so I'm just very, very thankful. Well, and we're thankful you've certainly embodied that uh, in characters you played on the screen, and and as a as a, it seemed to be a wonderful human being uh, off screen. So thank you so much, Ernie. Thank you, thank you for taking the time. Great talk. Sweet guy, really very nice guy. I mean, completely. He seems yeah. like his characters. I mean, except for the really awful ones he's played earlier in his career. Oh, no. yeah, well, I was I was watching a lot of the shows he was on in the seventies and eighties. He was often played the heavy, you know. Mm, he was the muscle. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, he seems like such a, a great grounded guy though. Right. Yes. Very yep. genuine. And yeah, you know, <laughs> it, it would make no constant sense to talk to him about this on our show, but um, you know, he did this film. It was a sequel to uh, Dolomite with Rudy Ray Moore. So it was a seventies movie. It was called the human tornado. And I saw him to tell this story in another interview. And if you look up these scenes, you could probably, you could find it. But during filming, and he had a bald, his head was shaved bald. <clears throat> his head was shaved bald, and, you know, again, he was in a lot of fights. It was, a, you know, it was like a Dolomite movie, so it was basically a martial arts film. <laughs> it was really goofy. It's a crazy movie. But at some point in the filming, he has to go back to, uh, he, he had a job to do a play, but this, it was taking too long to film it, so he went back to wherever he was to be in this play. And he said, without consulting with him, uh, they just hired uh, <laughs> Ernie's brother, who looks nothing like him. Oh my to be his stand-in. So every now and then you see a guy who's, and, he, and his brother refused, Ernie tells the story, refused to shave his head. So his brother's wearing a bald cap. Oh my God. And he's wearing the same clothes that Ernie wore, which Ernie says, he, Ernie's like a good size, a few sizes bigger than his brother. So he's got like, looks like his dad's clothes on. He's got a bald head. He doesn't look like Ernie Hudson. And he'll be in a scene like walking by. And then suddenly when they arrive, it's Ernie. You know, it's like, it's very bizarre. <laughs> anyway, I don't know if I'll leave any of that in. But okay, hey, our show is uh comes to you. It does it it's it takes a lot to produce this show, you know? And it's mm-hmm. uh, and it requires the support of uh patrons, including John Henderson, 
Craig Coletta, Bart Arnold, John Kaminsky, and John Reddick. And if you go to patreon.com slash 1980s now, you can help support more episodes just like this one. Please do. Yep. And what? Nothing. Or, or another episode that you liked also. You can support those too. Okay, maybe not just like this one. Yes, or all of them. <laughs> and if you want to send us an email from the past and somehow have it arrive now, I'm going to check the email again. Hang on. Okay. No, I didn't get anything yet. Okay, hey, we will talk to you next time on 1980s Now. See ya. Later.